Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark chapter 9. In our culture, greatness is measured by our position, by how many people are serving us. And if you have enough money, you can be great. You can pay people to make your meals, to, um, to work on your lawn, to clean your house, to uh, buy your clothes, to book your vacations, to do, do your taxes. If you just have enough money, our world tells us you can be great and people will be serving you. But, but with Jesus, Jesus doesn't measure greatness with how many people are serving you. Jesus measures greatness with how many people you are serving. And so let's uh, see how he explains that here in Mark chapter 9. We'll begin reading with, with verse 33 and read through the end of the chapter. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your, in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ Truly, I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. May God help us to understand as we look into His Word this morning. Greatness is not measured by superiority, but by accomplishing the mission of Christ. You see, the mission of Christ is the most important thing, not position, not individual accolades or, or degrees or accomplishments, not, not personal preference with regard to the, the great people of this world, but, but accomplishing 
Christ's mission. That's what we're going to see today about greatness. The greatness, the discussion of greatness begins really with the disciples in verses 33 and 34. They were discussing on the way. Jesus asked them, what were you discussing? They kept silent because verse 34 says that they were discussing who among them was the greatest. And so they were a little bit embarrassed to tell Jesus what they were talking about on the way. So why does Jesus ask them? Why does Jesus even ask the question, doesn't Jesus know all things being God? Well, notice He does know all things because in verse 34, they never give Him an answer. It says, but they kept silent. But then Jesus goes right into verse 35 talking about what greatness really is. So He knows exactly what they were talking about. He knows their thoughts. And so He asks them simply to bring up the point and to show them that I'm going to teach you something. Not that He was ignorant, but that He wanted to teach them about discipleship. So this greatness is discussed in verses 33 and 34. And then in verse 35, we see that greatness is defined. Jesus says here, you want to find out who's greatest? I'll define greatness for you. Notice verse 35. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Okay, so notice what Jesus is saying to them. When we, think, when we hear the word first, we should think what? We should think great. Right? So we can read it like this, the end of verse 35. If anyone wants to be great or the greatest, the first, the first among all other peoples, if anyone wants to be the greatest, then what? Then he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now perhaps Peter, James, and John had come down from the mountain where they had, they had seen Jesus be transfigured. They had seen part of Christ's glory as God. And so perhaps they were looking at themselves saying, see, we have a better standing before God than you do, talking to the other nine disciples, because we have this special opportunity to be with Jesus. Jesus pulls us aside and gives us a special window into His messianic kingdom. And so maybe they thought that because of their position, that Christ would give them a position of honor and status and greatness when it came to the kingdom. That that they would be right next to Jesus. But Jesus wanted to change their perspective on what greatness was. It's not about position. It's not about your status, how people view you. Rather, it's about how I view you. And here is what Jesus tells us. In order for us to be great, we have to be last of all or servant of all. True greatness is not wanting to be first while other, people's are, while other people are second and third, but rather it is about being willing to be last, to be willing to be a servant. It's not about position, but it's about putting ourselves in a, in a position really where we are serving other people. And so now he goes, uh, starting with verse 36, all the way till the end of our passage, and he talks about, he explains this. Okay, if you want to be great, you have to be servant of all. Let me show you some examples of that. And so he begins here in verses 36 and 37. It begins by accepting a weaker believer. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. So here is the argument that Jesus lays out in verse 37. 
you receive a child like this in my name, then you receive me. And if you receive me, you don't receive just me. You receive the one who sent me. He's talking about God. So if you want to be accepted before God, if you want to be great in the eyes of God, then accept this little child. And, and we'll see later that when Jesus is talking about children, okay, he's talking about in the context of, of believers. So people who are newly saved. New believers. Okay, we'll, we'll see that as we move on. But the point here is that the greatest person on the ladder of spiritual success is not the one who pushes out everybody else down in order to get to the top. It's not the one who, who uh, ridicules and pushes aside all other people so that we can be seen as best. It is the person all the way at the bottom. Okay, picture a ladder of spiritual success. The person all the way at the bottom helping others up or pushing others up higher. It's the idea of service. So Jesus teaches them that, listen, in our society, okay, in their society, Jesus was saying, a child is worthless. To them, to the Jewish culture, they saw children as worthless because they weren't helping produce anything. They were just simply something that had to be fed. And so, actually, the word in Greek for child is the same word that's used for servant. And so Jesus is saying the lowest person possible in society, you need to be willing to accept Him in order to be great in My kingdom. You need to be willing to step down and, and take the least powerful member of society and be willing to help Him. When it comes to believers, there are some people who are weaker than you. There are some people who you may automatically reject because, you know what, they don't quite get it. But Jesus says, if they are one of my children, then you need to accept them. And that means uh, getting down your knees and serving them if that's what it takes. About 14 years ago, I worked at the airport. I used to push wheelchairs for elderly and disabled people from one uh, concourse to the other or from the gate to, to the, uh, the, the, uh, the baggage claim or something like that. And so we'd get a call on the radio that would tell us how many wheelchairs were needed at a specific gate or at the ticket counter. And uh, usually you would know when the flights from Florida would come in because you'd have a lot of people needing wheelchairs. Well, uh, we would hear, we would be informed by dispatch what, that how many were needed to be there, how many people needed to be there. And so we would uh, respond and say, I'll, I'll take two or whatever the case. And occasionally you'd have people, uh, after, after a period of time, you recognized who would be the tippers. Okay? Now, now, for me, I, um, I was paid less than minimum wage, and so a lot of my money came from tips. And, and right away, I could tell those people who, who weren't going to tip. And my, my uh, temptation always was to not give them as good a service. Okay, so perhaps it was a, a disabled person okay, that, that came through the gate and I said, oh, there's no way. And so my goal was just to get them to the other gate. I wasn't going to schmooze them. I wasn't going to, to be careful, help them with their little foot pedals down at the bottom. I wasn't going to be careful around the corners. I would run into things if I had to. Just get them to the gate and get them unloaded so that, so that I could get on with, with making some more money. 
And if you've been in a, a service-oriented type job, maybe you're a waitress or a waiter or something, and you depended upon tips, you know what I'm talking about. You know that there are people who, uh, perhaps a bum, okay, comes into your restaurant, and you're pretty sure they're just get there to get the meal. They're not going to lay down a big tip on you. And so the temptation is not to bend over back, backwards and do, hey, you want to make sure your coffee's filled? Is there anything else I can get for you? You tend to, you tend to leave those people aside. And although that, that uh, attitude in, in us is not admirable by any means, what happens is it spills over into the church. And we see people who are not going to help us out in some way. Okay? So maybe they're not a person of power or they're not going to help us advance. They don't have a lot of money. How, how willing are we to sidle up next to them and say, hey, what can I do for you? Because Jesus says, we, if we're going to be great in His eyes, we need to be willing to, to take the lowest person, the, the least powerful person in, in our church, let's say, and be willing to, to help them, to lift them up, to encourage them. But our temptation often is, why bother? What can I get out of that? What, what are they going to do for me in return? Nothing. And if we're unwilling to accept that person, if we're unwilling to help to serve that person, then Christ says, then, then I won't accept you. That's what he's, he's saying in verse 37. If you receive Him in My name, then you receive Me. Okay, so, so the opposite is also true. If you don't receive that person, if you're unwilling to help in that way, then don't accept, expect that I will accept you nor My Father. So accepting the weaker brother. And then verses 38 through 41, accepting the competition. Verse, verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Notice the command by Jesus in verse 39. Do not hinder him. The point here is don't oppose someone whom God accepts. So if this person is a believer, if they have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, and although they don't have the same sort of background that you do, maybe they don't have as much knowledge as you do, Jesus says you need to accept them if God accepts them. Notice verse 39. He says, Do not hinder them, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in My name and be able to soon afterwards speak evil of Me. Of me. So if he's not, accept, he's not opposed by God, then He must be accepted by us. And then in verse 40, he says, if he's not an enemy, then he's an ally. For he who is not against us, if he's not an enemy, that is, he's opposing God's work, then God must be using him. And so you need to accept him. And then notice finally at the end of verse 41, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. If he is doing these things in my name and 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 soon afterwards he speaks in my name, then, then he is accepted by me. 
And your job is not to criticize, to put down or say you're not a part of our uh, the background that we have or the amount of schooling, but rather, I will accept you. That's what greatness is. It doesn't hinder someone whom God is doing a work in. This man apparently was a believer, but he wasn't up to par with the disciples. That's why they say at the end of verse 38, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. He wasn't on the same page with us. He's not a part of our group, our, our inner circle. And so he must not be a part of your kingdom, God, Christ. He, he must not be a part of it. So we're going to reject him, right? Can you tell him to stop? And Jesus says, no. If he's not against us, then he is for us. Now, this is a bit... Uh, ironic, if you think about it, because just just last week we saw that the disciples had a person of whom they could not cast out a demon. Remember? Because it was too powerful for them. And Jesus said, this only can come out by, by prayer. And they weren't able to do it. And yet this man somehow is being able to cast out demons in the name of Christ. And so do you see where this, this idea of greatness comes in? They become now a, a competition. Like they're doing more for Christ and we can't allow them to do that. We need to do. We need to be seen as more. So we'll push them down. And this is what happens on the ladder of success. Okay, both in our world and in the church. We, in order to get up higher on the ladder, we push other people down. We, we eliminate our competition. And Jesus says, if, if I've accepted them, then you should accept, it, accept them as well. Don't worry about power. Okay? Don't worry about being recognized. Just make sure that the most important thing is happening. And at the beginning, I said the most important thing for us is that the mission of Christ is advancing. If my name is being preached among those people, then, then stop trying to, to eliminate them. You need to be willing to accept them. It's like what happens in a lot of churches, maybe even among Baptist churches, that we have competitions sometimes. Competitions to see who has the best music program or the best youth, the best youth group or the, best, or the most amount of people in their Sunday school or the best whatever. It could be about the, who has the most missionaries overseas. overseas but, but Jesus is saying, listen, that's not what's most important. Don't make this into a competition. Are they accomplishing what I want them to do? If so, then they are on the same page as me. And you need to accept them. Christ's mission is about advancing the Gospel in this sin-cursed world. And if we are going to be a part of what Christ is doing, we need to be willing to accept that brother. All right. And then verses 42 through 48, the third way in which we can be great is by removing stumbling blocks. Removing stumbling blocks. First, stumbling blocks for the weak in verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. Now, in order, in order to understand this verse, we first need to understand this phrase, these little ones who believe. Okay, notice, Jesus is not talking about simply children here. Look, what he, look how He qualifies it. 
one of these little ones who believe. It is a child or a young believer, someone who believes in Jesus Christ. So this is the person you're not supposed to cause to stumble. Now this idea of causing to stumble that you see here at the end of verse 42 is the idea of causing them to be enticed or to be taken by sin, to be even entrapped to a point where, where, where they are stuck. They, that sin has, has, has taken its tentacles and put it around them. And Jesus says, don't allow, don't do that. Don't, don't allow, don't cause someone else to fall into a, a place of entrapment where they are entrapped by their sin. Don't lead them to transgress, transgress God's moral law. Don't lead them to disbelief. He had talked about in verse 37, accepting these lowly persons, these people who we see as worse than us. And now he says, don't cause those who believe in me to sin. Don't cause them to stumble. Now, now notice how strong of language he uses for those people who do that. Whoever causes, verse 42, one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him. If with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. Now, why would Jesus use such strong language? Okay, I mean, you can picture what is going on here. And, and perhaps you should imagine yourself in this position. That you had something tied around your neck so heavy that it took you to the bottom of the sea. I mean, that's a desperate situation that no one wants to be in. Jesus saying, listen... Your treatment of these weaker believers is not insignificant to me. You may think that it's it's unimportant. Oh, well, it's not a big deal. They're, they're never going to get it anyway. But Jesus says to me, if you lead them to unbelief or if you lead them to sin and to be entrapped by it, certain death would be better for you than the judgment that you will receive as a result of leading my child the one whom I care about, to sin. We have a responsibility to look out for the spiritual well-being of all believers, not just those who can advance us in some way, but all believers. Turn over to Romans chapter 14 with me. Romans chapter 14. Paul picks up on this idea of a stumbling block and he shows us that <clears throat> excuse me that, <clears throat> that we all have a responsibility to watch out for our own life to give up certain freedoms that we we have the right to to participate in so that the gospel is advanced so that people are built up in their faith notice Romans chapter 14 verse 13 therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is clean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. 
Do not destroy with with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in, in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. You see what Paul is saying here? Notice verse 15. Uh, verse 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. And then verse 16, Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Now we'll talk more about this tonight, but, but here, is, here is the danger for us as believers. Perhaps we've been a believer for a long time. We say we have a, a personal right to participate in a certain activity. This is not sin. I've searched the Scriptures. I've determined that it's not sin. And Paul says, you know what? You can do something that's not sinful for you. Something that, in verse 16, he calls good. Something for you that is good that someone else can look at and say that that's evil. And as a result, that weaker brother could stumble. And Paul says, don't make, don't allow there to be any stumbling blocks for these other people, even if they don't understand it rightly. You need to be willing to give up your personal rights to do these things in order that someone else does not stumble. Because, verse 17, the kingdom is, of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about, like for, for Paul, it was food. Okay? Food sacrificed to idols. He saw that that was not immoral in any way on his part to eat food. But, but there were people who came out of other cultures who saw that as immoral. And so if they saw Paul doing it, Paul's supposed to be a Christian, supposed to be committed to Christ, and how can he do that? Now, our temptation is this. Too bad for you. Okay, you don't get it yet. Maybe you will one day, but what God is saying here to us, what Jesus is saying in the Gospels is this. There are things that we can participate in that, we, that are not a problem for us between our relationship between us and God but for another person, they could see it as, as evil. And if we do that, then we've now put our desires, our personal pleasures over someone else. And that's why Paul says it's not loving to do what you're doing. You need to be willing to look out for other brothers and not cause a stumbling block. Why is it so important? Back to Mark chapter 9. Why is it so important not to put a stumbling block before them? Because certain death would be better. It would be better for you to be thrown down into the depths of the sea than for you to cause that brother to stumble. So we need to remove stumbling blocks from the weak. And then we need to remove stumbling blocks for ourselves. Verses 43 through 49. I'll read the first one, and then the next ones kind of go along the same idea. Verse 43, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell and to the unquenchable fire. What Jesus is saying here is that there are stumbling blocks that will keep you from eternal life. These stumbling blocks He's talking about Think of the same idea with regard to what we're supposed to do with the weaker brother. 
Not allowing them to be entrapped by sin. The same thing is true for us. There are entrapments. There are sins that we can get involved in that will keep us from eternity. That will keep us from a relationship with God. And so after Jesus talks about a responsibility not to cause others to stumble, now He turns to the individual. You disciples. You who are following Me. There are sins that can be committed that will keep you from eternity. And that's why He uses such strong language. If something as important to you as a hand or a foot or an eye causes you to fall into sin, then you'd be better off if you cut those those body parts off. Because He's talking about entering into eternal life. Notice verse 43 again. It is better for you to enter life Verse 45, it is better for you to enter life. And what he's talking about is is a relationship with God. Notice verse 47. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter, and this is the same idea as life or eternal life, the kingdom of God. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to enter into eternal life, then you can't be entrapped by sin. You have a choice here. Are you going to choose sin or are you going to choose the Savior? Because if you choose sin, you've also chosen an unquenchable fire in hell. If you've stumbled, if you've been entrapped in sin, if you are entrapped in sin, then you've chosen to go to hell. Now, that sounds pretty shocking to us, doesn't it? But it shouldn't be. Because a life that follows Jesus turns its back on sin. We're not facing both the Savior and sin at the same time. We can't serve two masters. We can either hold to the one and despise the other or, or, or hold to the other and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and your sin. What Jesus is doing here, now we need to be clear here because perhaps we're thinking, well, there are sins that I commit with my hands. There are sins that I commit with my feet or my eyes. And so... Is Jesus talking about radical surgery? But what Jesus is using here is a figure of speech called hyperbole. Hyperbole, it's called it's an intentional overstatement or a, a deliberate exaggeration to make a point. We use these in our language quite frequently. Okay, perhaps you're thinking right now, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Do you literally mean that you could eat an entire horse or even any part of a horse? That's not what you mean. What do you mean when, you're saying, when you say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? You mean, I'm extremely hungry, right? You're not being literal. You're using hyperbole. You're using intentional exaggeration to make your point. Or you could say, if I have to wait on hold for ten more minutes, I will die. Okay? We're not literally going to die if we wait on hold for ten more minutes. But we're making a point. I can't stand waiting on hold. And so we use exaggeration to make our point. So Jesus is using the same sort of of figure of speech that we often use. It's called hyperbole. And He does it here to, to show the drastic need, the drastic action that is required of cutting ourselves off from sin and sinfulness saying it would be better 
for you to go into life crippled, without hands, without eyes, than have to be in hell with all of those body parts. So here's what he's saying. Take drastic action to make, make sure that sin is not a part of your life. Take drastic action to make sure that sin is not a part of your life because it is the difference between heaven and hell. Now think about it. Now, sometimes we, we go a little bit too far and if we take this literally, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. So, so think about it in terms of, of how a surgeon views a patient. Perhaps a patient who has come in with gangrene on their feet or in their feet. Which would be better? For them to have their feet as they're lying in the coffin? Or for that foot to be cut off along with the gangrene so that it doesn't spread to the rest of their body and they can now have life? Which one is better? The surgeon makes a choice, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to cut off the foot. And so he's quick to amputate and it's something that serious. Now think about that with regard to the spiritual life. Hey, what is it that's causing you to sin? Hey, I'm not talking about body parts. Hey, perhaps it is coming through the eye gate or the ear gate. That's where a lot of our sins come through. But, but what is it that's causing you to sin? Jesus is saying, do a radical amputation spiritually so that you are sure that you have life. Because a person who is entrapped by sin, who, who is wallowing in sin unrepentant and unconcerned about God is not a child of God. Is not a child of God. Will not enter heaven. In, in the terms of Jesus, He will enter an unquenchable fire. So, the point is not to start lopping off body parts. Okay? A blind paraplegic is not any more spiritual than you, necessarily. Because if we get rid of all those body parts, we still have a problem, don't we? Right here. We still have a problem in our heart. So Jesus is not saying start cutting off body parts. He's saying get rid of that thing that's causing you to stumble. Because that could be the difference between being accepted before God and, and being rejected. When the choice lies between sacrifice of something in this life. Maybe it's something that you enjoy. When the choice comes between sacrificing that and having eternal life, then the decision should not be very difficult. So what is it that's hindering you from doing what God desires? What are you being entrapped in right now? What's causing you to stumble? Because you need to cut it out of your life. Jesus is very serious about that. And so he finishes the passage there, verse 48, um, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, talking about what it's going to be like in an eternal hell, that there will still be people living despite the fire, and it, the fire never goes away. It's never quenched. Now, we need to take some time on these last two verses to look at what Jesus is talking about, verse 49. Um, he says, spiritual reality is proven in the context of life's trials. He just got done saying, there, you need to take drastic action to get rid of sins that are, or to get rid of 
uh, activities that are causing you to sin. And then notice verse 49, for. Why? Why should I take such effort to, to make sure that I am a child of God? Verse 49, because for everyone will be salted with fire. There will come a time, if there hasn't already, multiple times in your life where you have to make a choice where the, the fires of trials come. And you have to make a choice. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve myself? Am I going to go after my own pleasures? Those, when those trial, trials come, when that fork in the road comes spiritually, and it may come multiple times, it probably will, how are you going to respond? Okay, because everyone will be salted with fire. Everyone will have an opportunity to go through trials in life, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. And the point here is you need to make sure that you are a believer. And that's why in verse 50, he talks about salt. He says, salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now what, according to verse 50, does Jesus not want us to be? Hey, look at verse 50 again. What does He not want us to be? Unsalty, right? Unsalty. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be unsalty? Because that's what Jesus is telling us not to be. This is the only time that this word is used in the Bible. However, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that believers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. But if salt becomes tasteless, okay, or think unsalty, if salt becomes unsalty, then what good is it? Okay, what value is it? The disciples here are talking about greatness. I want to be of great value. I want to be at the top. But Jesus is saying, listen, you need to make sure that you're salty that you have value, that you're not tasteless like this salt. Now, in, in, in those times, okay, salt doesn't change. We understand from science that salt doesn't change its form. We don't have uh, sodium chloride changing from being salt to not being salt. But in those times, they, they didn't understand things as clearly. So the way that they would uh, dig up, trudge up this salt was from the Dead Sea which is a very salty place. In fact, it still is. And, and sometimes salt from mines. And this salt would often be impure. And so they would take the salt and they would leach out uh, the, the moisture that was in there. And what was left was, was basically two items. You would have salt and something that looked like salt. And it would end up being gypsum or some other min mineral that was useless. It was tasteless and didn't help preserve food. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, He throws it out on the road and it's useless. It's good for nothing. Okay, so what He's saying here is this. You can have this, this picture. You, you can look like you're salty. But you, make sure, look at the end of the verse, have salt in yourselves. In other words, make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That you are a child of God. Because, because what value? There's no value. You're worried about the greatest value. The greatest. But I'm telling you that there are sins that will entrap you. And you need to be clear of those. Stay clear of those. And that's why he finishes up the passage. He kind of wraps the whole thing up by saying, and be at peace with one another. 
stop arguing about who is going to be the greatest. That is not important. That is not the most important thing. You have to recognize that God already sees you as great if you're a child of mine. What did what did Jesus say? And I believe it was John chapter one. He says, uh, "There was no one before John the Baptist who was greater than he, because John had predicted what what happened to Jesus. He predicted that Jesus would come. No one, Jesus says, was greater than John. But then later he says, "But but you, if you are a part of the kingdom, if you are a child of God, you are greater than John." You see, your greatness is not wrapped up in in your position necessarily in the the Christian world, in among believers within your own church. It's not wrapped up there. It's it's your position before God. God sees you as great because He sees Jesus Christ in your place. If you want to be the greatest of all, you need to be willing to serve. It starts with a desire. To, to accept those of lowly position, verses 36 and 37, to not reject the competition, verses 38 through 41, and not setting a stumbling block in front of another believer or in front of yourself that will cause you to be entrapped. Now, there is a lot of application that we can draw out from this text. And so what I've decided to do is to take this evening service and instead of uh, preaching from Haggai 2, I'm going to preach from this passage again. But, but what I've spent most of my time is on this morning is explaining the text. Now I want to show you how this applies to our lives. So I would strongly urge you to be here tonight because the difference between our understanding and, and our participation in what God is saying is a difference between being right with God and being condemned to an eternal hell. So we need to talk about what this means for us as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so we'll, we could say, apply what it means to be great. Let's ask God's help as we try to understand this and apply it to our lives as we go from this place.